Okay, for the rest of you, Well, if that's working or not. Can you hear me? Okay. The rest of you, please turn to Matthew 12. We're going to be looking at verses 30 to 32. Matthew 12, 30 to 32 this morning. In these movies called The Lord of the Rings, there is uh, one of them where there is a group of trees that are animated and have life, and those trees are involved in some of the issues going on uh, in Middle Earth, and I wanted to talk just a minute about them. If you happen to have watched those, you remember the character of one of those trees called Treebeard. He was a leader among the race uh, that was looked like trees, but they were called Ents. The shepherds of the forest, they called themselves in the Lord of the Rings. The Ents are described as deliberate people, extremely slow to decide on a course of action. In reality, they are eager to avoid committing themselves in the great contest between the good and the dark Lord. He said, and I quote, this is Treebeard, I am not altogether on anybody's side, he explains, because nobody is altogether on my side. Up until the 11th hour, the Ents hope to maintain a policy of strict neutrality, but their desire is to be left alone. Their refusal to choose goodness becomes untenable when the dark forces of Mordor gather against the inhabitants of Middle-earth. I'm quoting Treebeard here. He says, of course, it is likely enough, my friends, likely enough that we are going to our doom." the last march of the Ents. But if we stayed at home and did nothing, doom would find us anyway, sooner or later. That thought has long been growing in our hearts, and that is why we are marching now. Okay, uh, what I want to do is uh, try to draw an illustration from that. And it is that wherever we are in our journey in life, whatever we believe, our earthly march in that life will come to an end. Whether we, meet, whether we meet Jesus at the moment of our death or when he comes again, without disguise, we will face him. And as C.S. Lewis warned, when we face Jesus, that will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we were really on and which side was chosen by us, whether we realize that choice or not. People like to say, and I've heard them say many times, that they are not against Jesus, but then they are not really for Jesus either. They like to say that they are neutral. I'm not going to take a stand on Jesus. I'm just going to stay in the middle. He could be God. He may not be God. I'm just going to stay in the middle. Jesus said that despite what people choose to believe, that is that there may be his neutral ground, There is no neutral or middle ground between being for him or being against him. Unbelievers who are convinced that God can uh, can control or dictate their destiny don't believe that he has any control over them or they would make a decision. That is, God is in control, calling the shots, making the boundaries where God wants those boundaries to be. It's not up to us to set the boundaries with God or without him. And that makes people angry when they hear that. Uh, That is pride in that case. 
all those who claim to be non-combative with good or evil are all enemies of God. Neutrality, where Jesus is concerned, is a fantasy of the unbelieving heart and mind. It certainly cannot be the truth. There is no neutral ground. Well, let's read our text this morning and see what Jesus says in this area. There's a lot of stuff in here. We'll uh, hit those things we need to know. In verse 30, he says this, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, I want you to think about this before we go on too much further, all right? He's saying you're either with Jesus or you're without Jesus. And if you're a person that scatters people away from Jesus, it means that you're not with him. If you're a person who gathers people to Jesus, it means you are with him. So we want to understand that there is activity that shows the truth of your belief. Verse 31 goes on to say, Therefore, as a result of that, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit, he means the Spirit of God, shall not be forgiven. Okay, we need to know what that means, right? Verse 32, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, let's look at this and see what uh, the Lord has for us this morning. In verse 30, if you're following along in your bulletin and you want to fill out those points, our first point is, if you are not with Jesus by faith, you are against Jesus and an enemy. If you're not with Jesus by faith, you are against Jesus and you are an enemy of Jesus Christ. You know, we may not like this, but Jesus has a way of drawing lines in the sand for us. Isn't that right? He tells us the difference between what is good and what is bad, what is righteous and what is unrighteous, what is just and what is unjust. He makes a line in the sand and says, this is where we cross over and this is where we need to stay, and that is on the side of the right. Everything Jesus said was at the direction of his Father. Jesus said, I am not going to say anything or tell you anything that I didn't first get from the Father. So everything that Jesus said came from God the Father. Everything Jesus said was at the direction of the Father and came directly from him. He says, nothing frivolous or inconsequential. He is not harsh, but he is loving. And some people look at the Bible and say, no, it's all, all full of harshness and stuff, and the stuff about hell and sin and all this. Well, my friends, it wouldn't be right if God didn't tell us about the problem with us, and he's given us the solution, and that's what's loving about it. He gave us a solution. He gave us a solution to our problem of sin. And that's the God that we have. The preposition against is in this particular verse, he who is not with me is against me, means against in a hostile sense. There is no such thing as a person who passively just doesn't believe in Jesus. There is no such thing as somebody that likes Jesus, but they won't accept him. Everybody who doesn't side with Jesus, the Bible says, is an enemy of Jesus and an enemy of the cross. Jesus said that it is a hostile thing to be against him. Jesus looks at middle grounders. I'm talking about those people who have decided that somehow I don't have to be for God in this life. I don't have to be against God. I don't want to do that either. I'm just going to be right in the middle. I'm going to be uh, in the neutral zone. Okay, you think, all right, we've got pews over here and pews over here. This is the neutral zone right here. Right now there's nobody in it. 
there is no neutral zone with God. But some people like to think, no, that's where I'm at. I wouldn't say he isn't God. I wouldn't say he isn't the truth, but I'm not ready to say that he is. And somehow they think that that's the most intelligent position that a person can choose. I'll just be neutral. What they don't realize is that there is no intelligence in choosing neutrality because neutrality is just a figment of their imagination. It's a fantasy uh, that the unsaved and the uh, unregenerate heart like to hold on to. Jesus looks at middle grounders then as those who are hostile to him, not neutral as they claim. There is no such thing. One either gathers with Jesus, and this is where we can tell the neutrality or the positive nature of somebody or the negative nature of somebody against Jesus by what he or she does, right? Jesus is saying to us, he who is not with me is against me. How do we know you're with him? Well, uh, the one who uh, does not gather, gather with me, which Jesus is gathering people to the kingdom, Instead, he scatters or she scatters away from God. That person is not with God. So you can say whatever you want, but if you're working against God and you're working to drive people away from God, let's say you give somebody ungodly advice. Let's say you tell them to do something the Bible says not to do. You're, you're scattering people. But let's say you tell people, this is what God wants you to do. This is how God wants you to live. This is what he wants you to do to get your salvation. This is how he wants you to act in life. Well, that person is gathering, and that's the big difference. One will either gather with Jesus, and that literally means to come together with him, or one scatters from Jesus, and that's used to describe in the text uh, wolves chasing sheep in all directions. Uh, wolves don't ever gather anything. They just scatter, and then they kill and have their meal. If we, if we passively don't exercise faith in him and then reject his mission of gathering people to the Father, then we are against Jesus. Now, some people in the neutral zone, they like to believe, well, I'm still doing good things. They think that if I do good things, God's going to take notice of my good things, and that's going to count for if there ends up being a heaven, I'll be in a good position. And they don't realize the Bible says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. There is no such thing as good works that get us into heaven. That's not the truth of the Bible. So if we passively don't exercise faith, then we're also not a member of the family. We're not those who are going to gather with Jesus. And if we reject his mission of gathering people to the Father, we are also against Jesus. You can't say that you know Christ is your Savior and then work to scatter people away from his word, scatter away from his relationship with him. That would be incongruous with your claim. So if anyone claims to not have faith in Jesus as Savior but, but is not against him, uh, the Bible would say in the vernacular of, of the Apostle John, he is a liar, the truth is not in him. Anybody that claims neutral ground, he is a liar. The truth is not in him. You can make up a neutral ground, but in God's book, there isn't one. Uh, then you are a son of the great deceiver, Satan himself. No one will successfully sidestep God's judgment of him by claiming that he was neutral where it came to Jesus. I can imagine there's a lot of intelligent people stand before Jesus on judgment day and say, well, Lord, I knew enough not to go against you, but I also didn't take the other side, so I'm neutral, and right now I choose you. And the answer is, no, you don't. That, that chance is over. It's gone. You don't have another chance to choose Jesus once you've died and, and gone to eternity. You can't. When you stand for your judgment, it's over. It's there where you're going to find out whether you were or you weren't. No one can sidestep God's judgment of him or her claiming they were neutral. Neutral means, in the Bible, I'm hostile to Jesus. Now, maybe you're not an active, hostile person, 
but you're still hostile, still an enemy of God. A person is either with Jesus or he is against Jesus. And that means if he's against Jesus, he's going to be working against him as well. Jesus is a person who truly cares about people. Jesus cared enough about you to go to the cross. Jesus cared enough about you to give up his life so that you can have eternal life. That's how much he cares. Jesus loves you more than any person will ever love you, can love you, or ever has or will in the future. He is the one who loves the most. How do I know this? I know this because he's not afraid to tell the truth. What would it be like if Jesus kept it a secret that there was a hell? What would it be like if Jesus didn't tell you, hey, you need to trust me as Savior because if you don't, there's penalties for that. What if he just said, ah, don't worry about the future, just love me and serve me and, and everything will be fine. That's not a friend. That's not a person that's going to tell you the truth. You can't trust that person. Jesus can be trusted. He tells the truth. He does it in love, and he did it with his body on the tree, on the cross. That's how much he loved us, and he's doing it with urgency, telling us about how we need a Savior. Why is Jesus so bold about the truth and unyielding on it? Well, it's because he cares about you. If he didn't care about you, he wouldn't be bold about the truth. He's bold about two truths. One is that there's a place you don't want to go, and one is there's a place you do want to go. And by the way, the door is open. The way is free. Somebody already paid your entrance fee and your forgiveness fee. It's already done. And he did it for nothing, for out, without cost, and you can have it. You must hear the truth because only the truth will set you free. The Bible says that. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In pulpits all around the world, they are not telling people about the penalty of denying Jesus. They're, not, they're okay with you being in a neutral ground. They're okay that you've sided against Jesus. They don't ever tell you the reality of the truth of what that's going to bring you. And you must hear the truth because only the truth sets you free. Your truth about your life, your condition, all that stuff. It is critical that people know about the rule of being for or against Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. Their eternity depends on them knowing the truth and making an informed decision about the two options that are available. So see what I'm talking about? There is an option for Jesus and an option against Jesus and an option to be neutral against Jesus. Everything from the side of, I believe Jesus, I'm for him, uh, everything to the left of that neutral zone, uh, the active negative zone, uh, they're all the same thing. Those, those two are the same. There's only two paths like we saw and heard in that video uh, just a while ago. I really think that people who say they're in the middle uh, think that they are in a good position to get into heaven because at that point they can just stick their toe over the right line and, and then they'll get in. They don't understand judgment. They don't understand judgment day. They're not in a good position because they think God will realize that, hey, they really weren't against Jesus, just hadn't made the commitment yet because no one can really know whether there's a God, right? The answer that's wrong. We can know. Some, somehow they have reasoned that not showing sides is enough to bypass the wrath of God should Jesus turn out to be the Messiah. We all know what that's like. We've all had times where we did something. One of our friends is mad at us. And uh, you're mad at the person. They're mad at you, and you're mad at somebody they like. And now they're in the middle of two friends. So they say, well, I'm not going to take a position. I'm not going to take ground because I like both of you. Well, that's what people think they can do with God. you know. And, and it doesn't work well with human relationships, and it certainly doesn't work well at all with God. You are either gathering or you're scattering. 
So I have to ask myself every day, what am I doing? Am I gathering people to Christ or scattering them away? We have to ask a question, what, am, what are you doing? If I ask it, you ask it. And then in verses 31 to 32, sin and blasphemy against Jesus will be forgiven, but doing it against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. In verse 31, the good news is all sin and blasphemy against God will be forgiven. Uh, the caveat is, except there's one that won't be forgiven. So we all want to know, what's the unpardonable sin? What's the sin that God won't forgive? And this is a rare time in the Bible where we find out that there is a sin that God says, I won't forgive. We like to tell sinners when we're sharing the gospel with them and telling them about life with Christ, we like to tell them that there is no sin that God will not forgive. But if you're telling them the gospel, it becomes very obvious that there, there is one because you're just going to tell them, if you don't trust Christ as Savior, you can't get into heaven. And they're going to know that you just told them that. And so if they deny Christ, if they deny salvation, if they re reject Jesus Christ, then they're not going to go to heaven. And that's an unpardonable sin if that's what you do. The truth is, there is one sin that the Lord will not forgive. Jesus is elaborating on the problem that we heard about last week where the Pharisees asked that Jesus was do what, what, how Jesus, let me put it that way, was doing his exorcisms. And they told all the people that watched him exercise a demon out of a person, hey, everybody over here, this guy who just cast out this demon, he did that by the power of Satan. That's what the religious leaders said. And so what they did was they saw the work of God and they said, nope, that's, of Satan. that's the hand of Satan when it was really the hand of God. So in the second part of verse 31, here's the point. And that second part says, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Here's the point. Jesus exercised demons by the power of the Spirit of God, not by Satan, the greatest of the demons. The unbelieving religious leaders looked at that, and they evaluated what happened and labeled it a miracle of the power of Satan. That's what they said. What God had done, they credited to the enemy. It is, is this the unpardonable sin? If I say a certain miracle done by some faith healer was not of God, have I committed this sin, and now am I bound for hell? Is that how that works? Blasphemy is to defame God's reputation, to be derogatory about him, or slanderous of him. What they did was blaspheme the Spirit of God, calling the Spirit Satan, right? In verse 32, God has allowed that whoever speaks a word against Jesus, it can be forgiven him. They were, said Dr. Barry Barbieri in his commentary, they were about to attribute incorrectly to Satan the power of the Holy Spirit exercised through Jesus and thus commit the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Someone said, in light of this, that we can't do this today because it requires the presence of Jesus on earth performing miracles through the Spirit's power. I think that's a very creative way to get out of the situation, and I don't think that's the truth. I really don't think that's what Jesus was teaching. I think we'll go another direction on what the unpardonable sin is. And what it is, it has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit of God in the ministry of convicting people of their sin. Uh, let's uh, turn over uh, to John 16:18 for a minute and see that that is the work of the Spirit of God. What is the Spirit of God doing? Well, among other things, I'll give you a chance to get there. You know what? I think I said 18. It's 16.8. If I said 18, I'm wrong. 
All right, so uh, John 16, 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So whenever I'm telling somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want them to know you can't get to heaven by your good works. You can't be good enough. You need faith in Jesus Christ. Whenever I'm telling them that, I need to rely on the fact that the Spirit of God is working in that person's heart, will open their heart to see the truth, will convict them of their sin, because that's not my job. That's not my power to do. It says it's the Holy Spirit who does that. And so if somebody resist the gospel and resist the call to salvation, if somebody could do that, then what they are doing is blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God. And if you don't get forgiveness for your sins through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, if you don't get forgiveness, you're not going to be forgiven. You can't stand in the middle ground and say, well, I'm not for you or against you, Jesus, so let's keep that in mind. But if you didn't say I'm for you, if you didn't trust him as Savior, then you've basically said, I don't believe in you. And if you reject salvation in Christ through, through the Spirit of God's help, then you're, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and of course that will not be forgiven. And you might stand before God in heaven and say, oh, well, now I'd like to do that. Too late. Too late. The door is closed, and Jesus will tell you uh, what you really are. It's not going to be a happy time for sure. <clears throat> that means that salvation is inaugurated by an act of the convicting work of the Spirit of God. And what happens to those who are not convicted for their sin is they don't get salvation. They're condemned. In verse 32b, the one who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Do we, rem do we remember the definition we talked about of the word against? It has to do with hostility of an enemy. That will not ever be forgiven a person. What we are seeing is the hardened heart towards God in those who refuse to get forgiveness for their sins. Unforgivable sin then is, and I'm quoting Dr. Blomberg here, the unrelenting rejection of the Holy Spirit's advances towards a person. Get that? What is the unpardonable sin? I think he's got it. The unrelenting rejection of the Holy Spirit's advances towards you as a person for salvation. Dr. Keener adds to that. He stated that this sin refers specifically to the Pharisees who are on the verge of becoming incapable of repentance because their heart is as hard as a stone to the work of the Spirit of God. He went on to say, uh, Dr. Keener, we therefore must reiterate the point in this context, and it is this. The sin is unforgivable only because it reflects a heart too hard to repent. Those who desire to repent troubled by the fear that they may have committed this sin, plainly have not committed it. I've had Christians say, you think I've committed an unpardonable sin? Oh, are you concerned about that? <laughs> Would you like to repent of your sins? Yes. Well, then you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. You can take care of that. And that's how we do that. So this does not mean that we're not to test the spirits, 1 John 4, 1 to 4. Not every spirit that claims to be talking for God is, so sure, we do that. It has everything to do with choosing to be on Jesus' side or choosing to be against Jesus. The only sin that will not be forgiven is the sin of rejecting salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. If we can dismiss the Spirit's advances towards us, then we cannot have salvation. We have set ourselves in a hostile position with God. By the way, don't give up on somebody if they have decided not to trust Christ as their Savior and they're not dead yet. Uh, you keep working at them, you keep, you keep helping them, and until they're dead, they still have a chance. 
So don't give up. I know in my life there's times I've prayed for 32 years for a guy, and he finally came to know Christ. 32 years, didn't give up. Don't give up. Now that doesn't mean God guarantees that, okay? I'm just saying don't give up. Every person who dies having straddled the fence, see, that's, that's what's in the zone here, uh, the fence straddlers. Everyone who has uh, died straddling the fence with Jesus or who has firmly stood on the opposite side of Jesus has committed the unpardonable sin up to this point. Rejection of the Spirit's work. But until a person dies, everyone has the opportunity to change his or her mind on Jesus. Don't forget it. How long did it take you? I lived eight wretched years before I trusted Christ as my Savior. How many of you live without him? Don't give up. No one will be allowed to make that decision while standing for judgment before the throne. You make it now, and you don't wait. Because life is short. I see that in the hospital all the time. Sometimes people die when nobody expected them to die. You never know when. You could be killed on the way out of here. I mean, not, not the trampling of the troops in here. I mean, driving your car, all right? They're going to be nice to you in here. Uh, you could drop dead of a heart attack. You think Dr. Kloster knew? Remember how he's out jogging? Next step, he was dead. You think you have time? You and I, we're not in charge of that. He knew Christ as a Savior, so the next step he took was heaven. That's what Jesus wants for you. Those people in, I'm sorry, yeah, those people in their early life have rejected the kingdom of God by rejecting the spirit of God. And the Bible tells us, don't do it. Make up your mind right now. All you have to do is tell Jesus. You can tell him in your head. He knows what you're thinking, right? No problem. You can say, Jesus, I understand that I'm a sinner today, and I need your forgiveness. Just tell him that. And I'm trusting you to forgive me of my sins because you died for me on the cross, and I want your salvation. And please take up residence in my life right now because I'm, I'm making you my Savior. And all you have to do is say that. He'll hear you. And he sees the humility of your heart when you said it. And he'll give you eternal life. So uh, in our application section here, uh, there at the end in your bulletin outline, number one, a hard heart makes the determination to reject any proof that Jesus is the Messiah, and nobody exemplified it greater than the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Easy to see where their hearts were. Don't be there. Number two, there's no middle ground between being for Jesus or against Jesus. You're either in or you're out. That's what Jesus said. Thirdly, if there would be an option for trusting Christ after death, Jesus would have told us but there is no possibility after death to choose Christ. How do we know that? Because he told us that. And then finally, today is the day you need to decide on Jesus if you have not. Today is the day you need to decide on Jesus if you have not. And again, all you have to do is admit you're a sinner, ask him forgiveness for those sins, ask him to be your savior, and he'll come into your life and 
save you and you'll be saved for the rest of eternity and you don't have to do anything else except he would like you to gather with him as a servant of God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone in the room today that's been walking in the middle, I pray that your spirit would help them understand there is no middle. Or if there's somebody who uh, isn't in the middle, but they're on the side against Jesus today, the Spirit of God has opened their heart to talk to them about their need for Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would uh, give in to that, that in humility they would repent and say they're sorry, that in humility they would admit they can't be good enough to get into heaven, and they, uh, they'll give that garbage to you because it belongs at the foot of the cross, and they'll start to believe that it's only through you they can have eternal life. And I pray that, they, that you would give them life. And if anybody's done that here today, I pray they would let me know. Uh, I have a little book to give them to help them understand what they've done. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for warning us about the dangers. And thank you for the comfort that we have if we've already trusted Christ as our Savior, that we cannot lose it. It cannot be taken away from us. And then, Lord, encourage our hearts to be those who gather with you. And I pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.